Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, thinking that you're just going to love her latest selection. <laughs> and inevitably, you just can't stand that book they recommended. Oh my gosh, we could stop now. Oh, <laughs> book burn. That's us. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, sometimes include robots, <laughs> invite magic and mystery into our lives, because science fiction and fantasy rule. <clears throat> I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. You can keep your robots. Okay. Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person's reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. Even if a book isn't entirely your style, you may have some redeeming qualities to it. Right, Christine? There are some things. Okay, then. I will agree. We don't even need to see. We know that there will be redeeming qualities. <laughs> Excellent start to the podcast. Although, we should read the spoiler alert first just because there's all kinds of goodies in there. Go do it. Spoiler alert. Now is the time for us to warn you that we're going to discuss the whole book, including the endings and any magical twists. If you haven't yet read Set My Heart to Five by Simon Stevenson and don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us again after you have read it or decided you aren't going to read it, which is crazy talk. You're going to read it. Or you're not. Or you are. Hmm. Or you're not. No, you are. You're totally going to. Hmm. <sighs> Christine, the look that you're giving me right now, it's... Um, angry? No, it's like a level above angry. It's like that look you get Fury. when you're past anger and you wish you had, like, a bucket of paint you could dump on somebody. <laughs> that's, that's a very specific look. Yeah, I, I, that's the, the vibe that I'm getting <laughs> from you. It's uh, surprising. Vehement. Mm. Vehement. That's the word. I'm, you look vehement that you are required as part of your job to read this book. I, I think even angrier are my neighbors because <laughs> this actually happened. I kept sitting outside on my porch on my Adirondack chair falling asleep because when I would read pages, then I would just fall asleep. And I never do this when I'm listening because I'm doing something else and I'm engaged and I'm listening. I'm happy uh, yeah, but happy. reading reading an actual book is a challenge and because I can't do anything else. And I woke myself up with my mouth wide open. I don't think I snorted. I think that was – but my neighbors had to look at that. So they're not happy with you right now. Well, I will wander over and apologize, <laughs> except my apology will be, here, try this book if you need, if you need a little something in your life. So I suppose we should start out with a, a short synopsis so that people understand – the uh, the diatribe that I am sure is to follow when you get your hands on the mic. Please. Yes. So our book this month is called Set My Heart to Five by Simon Stevenson. We are in 2054, a very near term in the future. And at this point in time, uh, humanity apparently was pretty dumb mm -hmm. and locked itself out of the internet. All the planes fell out of the sky. You can only travel by train and car now. But before that time, they had created robots, actual functioning Android-like robots. And they have got really designated jobs that these bots can do. And your story starts with Jared, who is a bot dentist, one of the few professions that they're allowed to do. Uh, because really, you know, they say that dentists don't need like the feelings and empathy that doctors do. And no so, one wants to do it. And no one wants to do it. I mean, people bite you. So, <laughs> Well, wait. 
The book says no one wants to do it. I feel an obligation yeah. to defend dentistry. Like yes. people do want to do it and they're very good at it. And Absolutely. I'm grateful. Real life dentists. Yes. I'm we sure love you. you're wonderful even when people bite you. But in this story, uh, nobody wants to be a dentist, so they give the job to bots. So you're following Jared, who is this robot dentist, and his uh, journey as he, <laughs> he has a mighty journey. The whole book is a journey. So he finds throughout the course of this book that he has developed emotions, and he goes on a literal journey from his home in Ypsilanti, Michigan, through Vegas to Los Angeles. He decides he wants to become a screenwriter so that he can write movies and plays that showcase how robots are not evil. And along the way, he finds love and his not-a-robot mother and um, starts working in a taco shop. It's just a weird, satirical, fascinating book. Um, and I know, I knew when I asked Christine to read this that it was not going to be high on her list. <laughs> I didn't realize it was going to be quite so low on her list. Well, if you had added space and dinosaurs, it uh, would have only... hit the four things that would make me go, yeah, I'm not reading that book. Okay. I need you to recognize the fact, though. Yes. This is our 29th podcast. Oh, my goodness. I have never made you read a robot book. Okay. Can't you thank me for waiting this long? There's so many There's good so robot many books. There's so other weird things you made me read. Yes. It's not like you but this did is me the any first... favors. Okay. But I could have thrown robots into the shuffle much earlier. Agreed. Yes, that is all accurate. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you did any research on Mr. Stevenson. Nope. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Folks, can you hear the vehemence? Um, gosh, such anger, such rage, <laughs> such paint splattered feelings over there. True. So Mr. Stevenson is Scottish. He's not British. Oh, okay. Which is, you know, I usually bring us Brit authors. He's Scottish, but he lives in LA now. Okay. And he is, or used to be, I'm not quite certain, a screenwriter for Pixar. So okay. his background, he was um, a physician and a writer and... Um... Okay, wait, I'm going to stop you right there because those are two of the only <laughs> professions that he gives any love to in this book. <laughs> He's angry about the way that writers are treated. Mm -hmm. And he says, physicians have to be awesome and human and mm -hmm. the robots can't do it. Okay, so he he's a little biased. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, you put yourself into your writing. Sure. Yeah? So he, um, I love Pixar. And uh -huh. I, I don't know that we've ever talked about on this podcast, but the feelings and emotions and storytelling that goes into those Pixar stories is also a journey, very much like <laughs> this book. <laughs> I wish I could have bottled that look on your face. You could have. It was great, wasn't it? And I, I was writing this up this morning. I was thinking, gosh, I should go back and rewatch some Pixar movies. Which one would I start with? And I, I should ask Christine because I don't know that she could name a single one if she had wait, to. Wait, wait. wally Okay. Have you actually seen Wally? No, no. You argued with me about this about what <sighs> I know it made it was me a, a horrible human being not for a, not wanting to not watch a Wally. Horrible human being. Just one that needs some growth. One that you don't like. No, I love you. And I want you to watch Wally because I think it would make you happier. <laughs> Is that on my um my evaluation? It's on your career management plan. <laughs> Super. Excellent. <laughs> but anyways, it, it kind of reminded me like the storytelling aspect and screenwriting, mm -hmm. it all kind of played in there a little bit. And this is really his first novel. Okay. He wrote um, a memoir. His brother passed away a number of years ago, and he wrote a memoir about that process that won a Scottish book award. Nice. But this is his first actual foray into a book. So I forgave him some small plot inaccuracies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's legit. Yeah. Okay. So there's your background, everyone. Mm -hmm. you've, you've had the, the scene set. Christine, 
rip into it. Well, I'm glad that you opened with the fact that it's a satire because I really struggled with that because hmm. I was thinking, is this a satire? Oh, yeah. I want it to be a satire, but it didn't make it to satire for me because it was too heavy handed. Okay. I think satire has to be much lighter and more ironic in order to actually be satirical. This just felt like a social criticism. Oh, funny. No, I, this reminded me very much of like late stage Terry Pratchett. It mm, was okay. it was very like he wants you to see it. He wants you to know what he's talking about. <laughs> he is hitting you over the head. Absolutely. That was the whole point. Like you cannot miss. There's so this book is set in 2054. Mm -hmm. And within the first, I don't know, 20 or so pages, you learn that uh, Elon Musk blew up the moon, uh -huh. that New Zealand is no longer a country. It's just not there. It got bombed or something. Oh, not or something. Yeah. It was destroyed, as was the Great Barrier Reef, yes. by an atomic bomb. Yes. But they don't, he doesn't, he just dangles that yeah. and it's gone. We There's no explanation. There's yeah. no nothing. It's, and he makes these sick jokes about, haha, people in Auckland, haha. Yes. Well, that's gross. Well, yes, he's a robot. He doesn't have feelings or he's not supposed to. <laughs> but that that set the tone for me. When you start off and you're like, there's no moon. These countries are gone. They got bombed. People are too dumb. They turned off the Internet. They couldn't figure out what the password was and can never get back in. Right. You know exactly where you're going with the story. Yeah, except <laughs> it just it was way too heavy handed. So I, I was trying to figure out, does that make it? Like, where's the line for satire? I even looked it up to see, you know, if my... You're such my, a librarian. I know. Yeah. If my own definition of satire was accurate. Because I, you know. And um, so I'm going to invoke a book that you hated. Mm. I like the Flashman series. Mm. And they are totally satirical and gross from, you know, your, mm -hmm. per, from a perspective of somebody who doesn't think it's satirical. If yes. they think that it is written, sure. you know, with accuracy. Yes. It, they are highly offensive. Yes. But to me... The social commentary is much more subtle, which makes it much more um, appealing to me. I am okay that we're on opposite sides of the spectrum <laughs> with this one because those Flashman books, the, the satire was so subtle, all I was was offended. Yeah, yeah. And with this one, the satire is so dense yes. that I knew going in that and I was ready for it. It yeah. wasn't – it wasn't – it didn't hit the same tone for me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Very, very, very different tones. Yes. For well, sure. different time settings and different right. types of authors and all those kinds of things. Um, so I, when we first put this on the list, I asked Christine to read this in book format, not mm -hmm. in audiobook format, because the author uses some really odd uh, pacing and um, format structure of mm -hmm. sentences and paragraphs on purpose mm -hmm. that I didn't think would come across in an audiobook. Mm -hmm. How did that sit with you? I there are a couple of things I have questions about. You okay. know, I have questions. Mm. Um, I kept expecting the writing style would grow on me because I've read other books where style has been, I would call this abrupt and awkward. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not necessarily against that when it does something for the story. Mm -hmm. And a, an example, and it's not a fully applicable example, but um, the Rosie Project mm -hmm. by um, yep, I've read that Graham Simpson. Um, has a similar style in that it's abrupt and s striking. Yes. Um, and I loved that. I, this did not grow on me. It just okay. annoyed me. Um, excessive use of exclamation points. Yes. Oh, I like that part. Yeah. But I yeah. like that in real life, too. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I didn't understand. What's the 10 slash 10? Oh, 10 out of 10. What a great thing. 
Huh. Yeah. Okay. So, so I was thinking that was computer code. Oh, no. So I was trying to figure out how. Oh, oh, that's very sweet. But no. No. So because he is an android, he's he's this robot guy, Mm -hmm. um, he's trying to meld himself into humanity's kind of mannerisms Mm -hmm. because even though humans know that bots are there, they revile them almost. Yes. And so they try and minimize the fact that they are bots. Right. So his efforts to mimic humanity means that he is using his computational brain to try and find specific points where he has to say, ha, that was funny. Ha, that was funny. And it's always just one ha with one exclamation point. Or... um, when he says 10 out of 10, he's trying to say, like, that was great, mm-hmm. but he's found this little shortcut the same way you do in in programming. Um, when he thinks that something, due to his, his robot brain, is a bad choice or it's, it's dumb or something like that, he says, I cannot. And it's just this short little thing. And it's, it's meant to be, like, a little code shortcut instead right. of actually saying the whole statement. Like, um, the title of the book is set, set it to five. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote this quote down because I thought it was funny. Uh So it says, by the way, set it to five is another hilarious toaster-based joke. Most household appliances go to ten, but toasters uniquely only go to five. Therefore, when I say set it to five, I am both demonstrating maximal enthusiasm (laughs) and paying self-deprecating homage to my noble forefather, the toaster. (laughs) And so... In the book, you'll get these explanations, and then you just kind of wrap back in. So when he says, set it to five right. or 10 out of 10, right. you're, he has created the pathway for you, and now you just have it. Except when dumb people like me don't have it because we <laughs> keep going 10-10. What is this? Why, why did I not understand this? I was a little too literal. I was, I was invoking my inner robot. Oh, Okay, don't try and pull that trick with me. Don't <laughs> don't try and make me have empathy for your non-robot sympathies, okay? Okay, well, I did have some things that I liked. May I? You may talk about everything that you liked about this book, and then we will be done. <laughs> so I'm going to read a quote that I was particularly enamored of. He explains the word Michigander, and he says, Humans believe Michigander to be a hilarious portmanteau word. They are wrong. A portmanteau provides two words to signify a third thing composed of those constituent parts. Michigander would therefore be an excellent portmanteau to describe a male goose from Michigan, but it is an inappropriate term for any human, regardless of their gender or where they come from. So one of the things that I enjoyed most about this is the explanation of portmanteau, because when I read it, I was like, I know I should know what that is, and I don't know, and now I have to go, I have to get out of my Adirondack chair, which is hard to do, and go find a dictionary and blah, blah, blah. But then he explained it for me. So yeah. I was very grateful for that. It, it So that you know. one half of a paragraph really sealed the deal for you on this book. Well, and then there was one other that I thought was very, very funny. Uh-huh. Um, he's talking about um, the French expression déjà vu, oh, which yeah. means I've already seen this. Yep. By the way, the French must spend a lot of time incorrectly claiming that they have already seen things <laughs> that they, in fact, have not. Perhaps they should try relaxing and being a little more easygoing, like their good time neighbors, the Germans. <laughs> so I think there are some very funny things about the book. Um, the use of exclamation marks is not one of them for you. Correct. But I actually enjoyed that. I, so I, I cannot. I cannot. <laughs> yes. I loved how in character the book stayed. Yes. That's, that it, yes. It was, 
he is not human. And so the structure of the book is not meant to be like a human is. Mm -hmm. And the words he uses are shortcuts to other statements. And he wrote about himself. I am a microwave oven with feet, a telephone with arms, a toaster with a heart. By the way, I mean heart in the sense of a mechanical pump, not that bucket of feelings. And there were five exclamation marks in that particular little journey there. He just, there were these... There was definitely some drag in between uh-huh. different sections, like when he's on the train going from yeah. Ypsilanti to Vegas. It, it went on a little bit long. But there were these nuggets in there of things that just made me giggle. And <laughs> I would look forward to when the next one was going to come up because I didn't know what they were going to say. Right. You reach a point where I think he's in L.A. by this point. So he's going to school to become a screenwriter. He's working at this taco shop. And he's talking about the zoo and mm-hmm. about pandas. <laughs> and why would a robot be talking about pandas, you might ask? Well, mm-hmm. because they were the scientists who helped create bots um, had started off as a, a, bo- um, a biologist who was trying to help the panda species survive mm-hmm. because they won't procreate. Yeah. And so he calls pandas uh, notoriously lackadaisical. Mm-hmm. And goes on this whole rant about how horrible pandas are, but how much humans love them. Yes. And I read that over and over again. It just amused me (laughs) so much. So I fully agree with him. (laughs) I think pandas are an evolutionary failure because they eat one thing. Yes. And they don't want to procreate. So that's just dumb. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we feel obligated to protect them from themselves. So I I It's because of the fluffiness. I may be a robot, but (gasps) I really think I'm more of a nostalgic I think you are nostalgic as well. And nostalgics, you'll have to read the book to learn more about them. We just don't have time to deep dive that part. (laughs) Okay, so you've told me some of the things that you like, and I appreciate that there were a minimal amount of them. No, no, there are a couple more. Whoa, but I need you to have time for the negatives, too, because I know that there's a mightier list of those. Well, I've already talked about most of my negatives. (gasps) Most of them. That was it? Well, the satire thing. So that's like an overarching, like, just, you know, didn't hit my buttons. Yeah, okay. Um, Another one that just puzzles me Mm -hmm. is... He chose to call Camus the stranger, the outsider, which completely, you know, at the time when I was reading the book, I was like, why would he do that? Is that? And then I thought, well, sometimes the English translation of something, the, the British mm-hmm. translation is slightly different from an American mm-hmm. translation. So I thought, well, maybe it had yeah, something to do with Stone, that. Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I looked it up and the New Yorker had an article because apparently in the 80s there was a new translation of The Stranger. And, you know, the first line is mother died today or maybe it was yesterday. I can't be sure. Yeah. So um, there was a whole scandal about the translation of the word mother because yes. the French is maman, which is more like mommy. OK. And so anyway, blah, 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 blah. blah. New Yorker has this whole <laughs> article about it in which they casually mention that the first trans- English tra- translation called it The Outsider. Which was in 1946. But then shortly thereafter, it was called The Stranger, and it's been The Stranger ever since. So it seems like a really specific and intentional oddity to call it The Outsider in this book when everyone knows that S.E. Hinton wrote The Outsiders, and that's a very different book from The Stranger. Okay, I'm going to give you a tiny dose of reality here. Uh You are too smart for your own good. (laughs) Nobody else thought that ever. Oh, I beg to differ. Okay, in regards to this book... Nobody, but nobody why, ever. Why would he do it? I totally skimmed over that part. <laughs> do you know how long it's been since I've read Camus? High school. I've never read it. Because they still, make you read it on purpose. I've never read it. I could have read The Plague. 
oh, stop, please. This is my ears are going to start bleeding. Oh, I do actually. I see some. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's happening. We'll back away. So I appreciate your intense intelligence <laughs> because that is never going to hit the right button for me in here. What I have instead is um, how many times he used the word ha and. <laughs> The fact you did that, not count. No, I didn't. Oh, thank that, you. It went too many. The fact that he had a human therapist for his bot self trying to teach him about depression. And yeah. Yeah. There were the, mm-hmm. that that one little incident with Camus. So Jared really likes Camus because yes. he feels like he could have been a bot as well, that he writes in a way that makes sense to him. It's it's structured and it's linear and you can follow the patterns mm-hmm. in it. And there's and nothing s- flowery or extra about no. it. So between that and this wonderful guide to all the things that you can do wrong when you're writing a screenplay, he has all the mentors <laughs> he needs in life to develop this document. But that is that is a really specific point. Except that it's... It's but just puzzling to me to invoke <laughs> a title incorrectly. Yeah, but he's Scottish. Maybe that's what they call it there. Mm, that's crap. <laughs> okay, okay. I have one more okay. that I think is funny. Okay. <laughs> I like the cube of Kelsey's. Yeah. So those are three Kelsey's that lived together in a house and no one could tell them apart. And so he was trying to decide, is it a gaggle? Is it a blah, blah, blah? Is it a, you know, a pod? And he settled on cube. He did settle on cube. He... There were so many interesting little facets to this book. So the idea, so he is happy being a robot dentist, right? He's just doing his robot dentist job. And then all of a sudden in his thought cloud, Uh his little word cloud, Uh which is, I guess, his robot brain, this number pops up. Uh And he can't get rid of it. So for us as humans, we'd be like, wow, what a weird stray thought. It must be something in my subconscious. But he's a robot. He's, he is fixated trying to figure out what this number is and eventually decides that it is, and the number is one nine five six eight six four decides that that must be the number of teeth he has to clean or fix before he is uh, reprogrammed and sent back. And I am not um, creative enough mm-hmm. to have ever landed on the weird premise that this is. <laughs> and I just don't I don't know how people can get to these places, but I want to follow them on their journey. <laughs> I want to follow Jared, as he goes along to the end of his book, we'll have to read another robot-based story at some nope, point. No, we won't. No, so that we can actually discuss and debate, like, what makes you human versus mm-hmm. a robot. I don't mm-hmm. know that we've got quite enough time for that today because that, that is a deep dive all on its own. Mm-hmm. But maybe we'll, do, maybe we'll do a little bit Philip K. Dick at some point. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. No? Well, you know. <laughs> You get to choose. Remember, I get to choose back. And I will tell you that you initially told me that you were a little bit worried because this is a longish book. It's maybe 450 pages. Yes. Super fast reading. I am a super slow reader, but because of the weirdo um, uh, spacing, it it really could be condensed almost like two-thirds, I would say. Well, before we move on to next month's book, I have a quote that I want to share from in here that I thought it very nicely encapsulated kind of Jared's philosophy. Okay, right? go. I now understand how the beautiful minutia of everyday life allows humans to tolerate their innate paradox of needing to feel special, yet secretly knowing that they are all as utterly irrelevant as one another. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will follow it with one that resonated me with me, and I know that it has resonated with you because of all of your sports fandom, your yes. rabid, yes. rabid sports fandom. All of the sports. Everything, everything sports well. Yes. 
go Eagles, followed by don't go Patriots, because it's a very literal um, translation, and it is never how one would cheer or not cheer for a team. So oh, I did appreciate that. This just makes me want to read the book all over again. Have fun. I will. Thank you. And if you need an Adirondack chair, come on over. Ah, my neighbors you. would appreciate seeing you asleep on my chairs, too. Yeah, but I wouldn't fall asleep to this book. <laughs> You'd be too busy laughing. I would. I just It makes me giggle. There are so many little oddities in here. And the reason I found this book was because of an excellent review in the Washington Post for it. Huh, okay. Yes. So, you know, if you're going to argue with all the book reviewers out there about the meaning of satire. Happily. And... Bring it. Okay. I'll put you in contact. <laughs> tell, me, tell me what you're going to make me read next month. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with something light and happy. What? I know. Because it's summer. It is. And I thought maybe we could do like a nice beach read. How about that? Are we going to read beach read? No. Oh, okay. We're going to read The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren. Okay. And it is actually a romance. I know that some of the books that we have selected have had romantic aspects to them. Yeah. But there is actually a definition for romance, what gets categorized um, in a library as a romance. And we can talk about that next month. Okay. Um, and the thing that really drew me to this book is I think the authors, because they're actually two people that write together, mm -hmm. um, really hit dialogue on the head. It's so entertaining and they get this banter. And sometimes witty banter in books comes across as way too scripted. Like sure. people wouldn't really talk that way. Yeah. I like think, the Gilmore Girls. Yes. Yeah. I think that sh the authors really nailed this and it was a joy to read. So I hope you will like it. Okay. So we're going to do The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren. Okay. Well, I am going to look forward to that. And I hope that our, our listening audience, which is more than two people, by the way, hmm. this is your cue to say hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Hi, okay. Amy. There we go. Um, I hope that they enjoy a little change of pace because I think that we will both enjoy this one. <laughs> I love good dialogue as well. Okay. Yeah. And a little romance uh, mixed in there. You know what? Summer reading. Let's Absolutely. Do it. Let's make it happen. So thanks for joining us on your Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So please do join us next month when we will be discussing The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren. Thank you so much and keep on reading.